All right, my guest, JV uh, Joe, is best known for his work as uh, an epic dark fantasy author. He's got a series called the Warminster series, um, which is which is really popular, really interesting books. But he also has worked uh, in Washington, D.C. as a lobbyist. And I thought that was kind of a super interesting background because I've never written a novel, but my assumption is to write a novel, right, to create these characters and really entire worlds from scratch, right, from your imagination, you have to really observe and understand the nuances and the complexity of human nature and the world we live in. And I think when you pair that background with the work he's done as a lobbyist, I figured there would be some really interesting perspectives and views that come through that. And Joe started with work ethic as his most important value. And, you know, a lot of that came from, as we discussed, he spent a lot of his childhood kind of studying or observing his dad and his uncle, who were big influences on him, who helped him gain an appreciation for the importance of a strong work ethic. And as you'll hear in the conversation, this value also led Joe to feeling that some people from the younger generations maybe lack that work ethic today. They're maybe a little too entitled or too caught up in the kind of participation trophy mentality. And, and his fear and concern and the result of that that he thinks is that we've stopped trying to push ourselves and we've stopped pushing ourselves to sacrifice to try and make the world better for future generations. So we had a really interesting conversation around that because you know, we, we challenged some of the thoughts, right? To consider the other perspectives. We explored if maybe Joe's childhood would have been different, better, what have you, if his dad was around more, maybe, and not working so much. And we also tried to understand if there's a good reason why some of the younger generations seem to focus more on the individual and deprioritize work ethic and sacrifice above all else, as some of the prior generations have. And, and I think in all of this, you know, and you'll hear it through the conversation, um, and we kind of tackled this head on too, there's this, there's kind of an obvious persona Joe can be labeled as. He's a, he's a middle-aged white guy. <laughs> he's been a lobbyist in DC. Um, he's somewhat more kind of traditional values, values work ethic, uh, kind of looks down on the participation trophies and entitlement. And it can start to look like the epitome of, you know, what some people would say is the problem with conservatives today, kind of that, that mindset and that approach. But I think it was interesting to explore this through the context of character development in a novel because good characters are complex, right? As we spoke about, they're multifaceted. They don't fit cleanly into a box. That's what makes a novel a good novel. It's what makes a character a good character. And I think Joe is similar. I mean, he certainly has some views that can be provocative and some people might not like, but they're rooted in him valuing the importance of sacrifice and striving to be better. So that doesn't mean you have to agree with him on everything, but I do think it means it's more useful to try and understand his perspective rather than dismissing it. And I think this is just another example of those conversations where you can look at it very superficially and say, okay, I, I know who this guy is, I, I get it. But if you listen to the long form conversation, you understand where it comes from, how open he is to kind of understanding different perspectives, where he developed these views and how he's kind of formalized them over the years. So really, really interesting conversation and a big thanks to Joe, uh, not only for talking about him, his values, what he what he likes, but also some of the writing process and what it's been like for him to write some novels. So really interesting convo. Hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. All right, Joe, thanks so much for being here. Really excited to talk to you today. Appreciate you making the time. Uh, no, my pleasure. Thank, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm excited for it. Um, I like to go right into it. So let's do it. Let's uh, what's the value that's most important to you? So I, I think it's it's work ethic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've I came from a, a relatively poor family and uh, I learned at an early age that, you know, if you put in the work, you get the return for it. And part of that was watching my father work swing shifts at a mill. My mother was a homemaker, also a nurse, uh, put in a lot of time through that. And 
you know, it helped our family grow. But also, you know, I saw it when my uncle was a Marine, he was paralyzed in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And I, he was like a second father to me. I grew up in his bedroom and, you know, he could have come back and it could have been all sorts of bad. And it wasn't, he turned it into him being that second father to me. And he also started to write, uh, which is how I, you know, learned my, uh, my trade, you know, in his bedroom, you know, in part, he was bedridden uh, at the end of his life. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I just watched the all of the adults around me, they didn't complain uh, about their uh, situation. They didn't, they just went to work, kept their heads down, do what they needed to do and advance the family. Mm. You know, and so for me, work ethic has always been a big value of mine. Mm. That's interesting. Super interesting. I appreciate that story too. Um, how do you think about it? So work ethic, is it, what is it, what is it driving towards? Right. So I think obviously work ethic is a really good thing. The ability to, 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 to push through hard things, to get things done. Is it ultimately towards an end that you believe, you know, is it, is it success? Is it happiness? Is it just the fulfillment of knowing you've done the hard work? Like, is it a means to an end or do you think it's, it's more of an end in and of itself? Well, I think it's both, right? I think you just hit the nail on the head. In part, it's, you know, it's one of those ideals in which you live your life, you know? And I think that, you know, when you look at it from what it produces, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur by trade. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 28. Mm. And, you know, I've owned several businesses, many of them more successful than others. You know, you don't always make big wins, but sometimes you do, uh, you know, and, you know, I think that I've applied that throughout my life. I've never been one that things have come easy to. Mm. Uh, and so you have to put in the work to, uh, you know, whether it's on a football field or a sheet of ice for hockey or in the, in the, uh, you know, in, in the classroom or in life in general. And so for me, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a way of life in many respects, but also um, I think that there are some end goals that, that come from that too. You, and cause you can gauge success in many different ways. You can have a, you know, a healthy, happy family and that's success, you know, but success on the, you know, the Excel spreadsheet for your, you know, your CFO also means something too, especially when you're employing people and people are depending on you to, to do what you do well, you know, as part of that, I think I've always, you know, looked at that and said, look, you can parse success in a, a variety of different ways. It just depends on how you want to grade it out. And so, you know, for, for me, I think it can be something that you, you can aspire to and also use in practice. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Super interesting. Is it so the obvious thing with work ethic, right, is that or the, the fear, if you will, is that some people think sometimes it's if you're so committed to work ethic, if you just put your heads down and it's said, don't complain, you just go maybe sometimes you, you you don't enjoy life enough. You, you're so focused on just kind of grinding and getting through it and, and developing things. It doesn't sound like that's the case for you, but I'm curious, how do you think about that? How do you protect against that in some ways? How do you not just get into a mindset of doesn't matter, whatever it is, I'm just work, 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 kind of go towards it? Yeah, no, first of all, that's a great question. And I, I hear a lot, especially in the last five or six years about work-life balance, you know, mm -hmm. and having that that balance. And I've seen, and, and when you're an entrepreneur, oftentimes you can lose sight of that because you carry around your business 24 seven. Like when, you know, so for me, I go to a family picnic, people are asking me, you know, it's not like my job ends when I punch a clock and I, I walk away. It, it doesn't, it, it goes with me. And if I have things that happen with clients on holidays or things that happen with clients when you're ill and not feeling well, you still have to, you have to deal with it. Now, sometimes you hire a nice team around you and they can, they can take care of that while you're down. But you know, ultimately, you know, that's, that's part of it. You need that time to recharge your batteries. And, you know, I am a really goal oriented person. So I have goals in my, my private life for that entertainment. I literally make a list of things that I want to do 
that year, whether like every year I do a, a skydiving thing. I love it. It's always been something I've, right. I've wanted to do. I try to do that, I, you know, or, a, you know, a vacation and, you know, my wife and I split them up, you know, she gets to choose one. I get to choose uh, the next. And that way we're both happy and we know that we're on deck or it's ours and it's time to, uh, to move along. But, you know, even if it's simple things like spending time walking the dogs or spending time by yourself at the gym, just kind of refocusing yourself. And I'm not any kind of gym rat by any stretch of the imagination, but those kind of things I think help in terms of striking that work-life balance. Uh, but I mean, let's face it, some people are more motivated than others. And like, so I don't mind doing a call six o'clock my time at night. I've got another one at eight after this, you know what I mean? And, you know, during the week, it's not too bad as long as stuff gets done and you're, and you're fine with it. You know, it's just a matter of uh, of what you enjoy doing. And, you know, uh, you know, I think that, you know, to answer your question directly, I think that that's, that's the way that I help to, to balance myself is make sure that I get the things in that I want to do, make sure I check those off my list. And then, you know, I could put as much time back into work as I want to. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And it sounds like there's even some aspect, and I've heard this from other folks too, of like, when work ethic is that important, it's it's not like people think the word work is in it. So it's all about work and professional career. But there's some aspect of like, doesn't matter what part of your life it is, whether it be work, whether it be spending time with your family, the gym, like that ability to say, hey, I'm focused on this right now, or I have this goal and I want to achieve it, and I'm going to do what it takes to get to it. It can serve in all aspects of your life. It doesn't just have to be your professional career. And it sounds like that's it for you. Um, but interesting too the mention of like the, the enjoyment piece, because I find myself thinking about that maybe philosophically. I mentioned we might get a little philosophical. For someone like you who does value work ethic, right? And it's something, do you think that you value it in a way in which you recognize that like, hey, sometimes it's painful, sometimes it sucks, sometimes it's hard or uncomfortable, but you just have an ability to kind of push through that and do it? Or do you think you were, for lack of a better word, like blessed where you actually enjoy it? Like you like doing the call at six and the call at eight and working and it's not, it's work ethic objectively, but in many ways it doesn't feel like work for you. It's all stuff you enjoy. Yeah, I think it's, again, it's a bit of both, right? I think part of me just, I think I would, not bred, but like growing up in a family that valued that. And, you know, my dad would make a call and it was an extra shift. He'd go in and take it. He wouldn't complain. He wouldn't say, you know, sorry. And we kind of understood you know, it's like, hey, you know what? We need to make money. This is how we're putting food on the table. Yeah, and my mom too, with her odd jobs and some of the like the in-home nursing before that was popular. Mm -hmm. You know, she was doing a lot of that senior companion stuff uh, when she could, and you just you see that and you grow up around it, and then you expect it. And I, I think it actually, as a boss too, as a business owner, uh, in many respects, I. I, I kind of look down my nose at people that don't have that. You know, like I, when someone says, oh, "I'm." I can't, I got to work today, you know, like, I, and I hate to say that because we all say that at some point yeah. and I'm not trying to be anything but honest here. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, you know, the truth of the matter is, is there are some people that just don't have that it, like you said, right. And you want to find people that are self-starters. They motivate themselves. They're going to get out of bed. You know, they're going to get up as early as they need to and get what they need to get done and accomplished, you know, and even if that means that they might have to, you know, put off that gain till some other point to get this out of the way there are those that are like that and then there are those that are never going to be like that right mm -hmm. and they you know and sometimes they get lucky you know they come from means or they have a certain talent and they can kind of skirt around it and things like that but for the majority of us you know that aren't born with that kind of, of wealth or that kind of, of talent you have to go out and make something of yourself and so i always have respected that uh from from others now you know 
does it does it mean that you know that, that I don't understand when when people want to check out? Sure, there are days like yesterday was a perfect day. You know, month I just could not get it started, no matter what I did. You know, and you know, I came home. My wife even said she made fun of me. She's like, "Are you sick? <laughs> are you are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I just today's just one of those days." And we all have yeah. you know bad days, but then you try to make up for it. And you find a a way around it. But in my case, I do like it. I always find that you know it keeps your mind engaged. It keeps you sharp. Um, you know, you learn so much in doing this and I, and I have my hand in so many different marketplaces that it's, 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 it's a lot of fun for me to be involved in multiple projects at the same time. I think I might have a problem if it was just one thing I did, you know, got up and just did that. But, you know, since I, you know, my entrepreneurial spirit has met in different directions, uh, in all places, whether it's a tech company or whether it's a publishing company or whether it's me being an author or whatever, you know, I think that those are, each of them are a little unique and it gives me a respite from the others. You know, I get to be able to put in some time to do something that I know I've got to do, but might not have been able to to do if I was just doing a singular job. And yeah. I'm kind of glad I don't have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I want to ask, and, and hopefully you understand, like the spirit of the show is very much to, to have, as we talked about in the pre-show, just honest, authentic conversations. I think the more we do that as just people in general, the better off we all are as a society. So I appreciate the honesty of being like, you know what, if I'm being, I, I get it. I get how this come off, but I do kind of look down on some people that don't have that work ethic. Um, so I want to press on that a little bit. Cause I'm just curious on that. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you think about that? Cause there's, there's maybe I'll ask the question this way. Like in some ways, as you've alluded to from your childhood, like that lived experience, the example that you saw showed you that work ethic was important. It was kind of modeled for you and you've, you've embodied it. Um, had you grown up in a different childhood, right? Had you been born to a different family, had it been different or whatever, do you think you would have had a completely different perspective and maybe been one of those people? Like, I guess what I'm asking at the core is like at our essence, is there an essence of us where you think it was inevitable that work ethic was going to be something you'd find important? Or do you think it really depends on your, your experiences, your parents, maybe some genetics, and it's kind of a roll of the dice that you happen to get it. And maybe somebody else doesn't. How do you think? about yeah, that? I, well, I think part of it is who you are, right? Like I think in, in my my businesses, being an entrepreneur takes a certain type of personality, right? You're, it's a type A, it's a risk taker, someone that has some risk tolerance to them. You know, and I, by way of example, I had a, a great conversation over the last few months with a with a couple of, uh, of my friends who want to start a dog grooming business. It's a fairly simple business. I've sat down with them, helped them put together some, some budgets and some financials and projections so that they can go and raise money for it. It's not a ton of money, but it's something that, you know, they're going to be doing a mobile grooming thing. Uh, and as part of that, you know, I'd ask them, you know, what's holding you back? Why it just like seems like every time we we meet, uh, you know, I'm it's the same questions and there's some other obstacle in your way, you know, and, and and they're honest. They're like, you know, we've never done this before. And there's a fear of just kind of jumping in. Uh, and I've never had that fear. Mm. Um, and I've always known and I've never really had a job that wasn't one I created for myself. There was a one time six year period when I was younger that I worked for someone else who was an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was, you know, like, it was, Same type of thing. there was no, there, there, there was, for me, there's never been another path. Like for me to work for someone else probably won't work. Like I might be their problem employee mm -hmm. because I'm off doing whatever it is that I, that I think I should be doing. And so I think part of that you're born with, you know, mm -hmm. part of it is just a personality trait and it manifests itself in a variety of different ways. And whether that was me being an entrepreneur or being involved in sports or politics or whatever, won't make a difference. I think that, you know, ultimately you're that will manifest, it will out, you know, it will manifest itself 
at, at some point. And then I think your question about sort of like nature versus nurture, right? Mm -hmm. Like in this nurturing case, you know, if you were in a situation where you didn't have to work, um, I'm, I'm certain that there's, there are folks out there that, you know, have that gene that would allow them to kind of kick back and be a little hedonistic when it came to it. I just don't possess it. So I have a hard time seeing it, mm. right? Like I know if I had, uh, you know, wealth, I would do a lot with it. I wouldn't be, I would never be bored. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, and so for me, I, I think it's just a matter of energy and, and, and a bit of that nature. Maybe I would be manifesting it differently if I grew up in, in, a, in a different scenario, but I can't, I can't ever imagine myself just, you know, punching a clock and, and wait, um, I get to work at nine Oh two and I'm punching out at four fifty five. that's just not, I, it's, I, that fiber doesn't exist in me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I bet you there's a correlation to that fear point you made of like, where that, that fear just doesn't hit you as much. You're more willing to take chances. Cause it, I think you've articulated already, but I think it leads to you working on things that you care about and that you find interesting and that you're starting yourself. So that ability to put in the work ethic, I don't think it's the whole story. I think there probably is some genetics and nature and all that, but I think that allows you to focus on things where the work ethic can kick in. Whereas maybe other people that are more risk averse work on things that are safer, but it makes them less motivated, less passionate. So there's probably a connection there I would imagine, or some correlation at least. Yeah. I think it's just a different type of person. And I see it all the time. My, my, chief financial officers, for example, great people, hard workers. Um, but, you know, they see the world through a different lens than I do. And it's just, and and I defer to them for many of my decisions because I always, I, I value their input because they see it differently. Uh, and so they, they, they might be deep, you know, head like buried in a spreadsheet somewhere and I'm never going to be that guy. Like sometimes I'm just like, licking the finger and you know, the wind I instincts telling me to go this way this feels right and they would never make that decision based on the analytics you know so I need to listen to people that that I I because I, I don't see that side mm. um and but I know that it exists and there's value in it so I'm not saying I devalue that I just I'm just saying that that sometimes um you know, you come at things from a different perspective and you need to you value other opinions to kind of form a greater opinion on your own as, as you kind of move forward. But, you know, I, you know, cause there's, there's, there's lots, right. You know, type A is just one personality. Yeah. <laughs> there's plenty after that one. Plenty of others. How was it when you were a kid? I'm curious, you know, when you go back to thinking of it, then the way your dad, as you said, if the other sh if the ship came in, you just, he went and he did the shift. You know, there's there's some people listening who I'm sure have a similar childhood and maybe they took away from it. Um, you know, I miss my dad. I wish he had been home more, maybe, or I wish he didn't do that extra shift. I'm curious if you can remember as a kid, did you ever have that sentiment or was it even in you then of like, no, 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 he's going to go to work and that's fine. And that may, and I'm not suggesting it is good or bad, by the way. I don't think there's any right answers to this stuff, but I'm just curious, has it changed at all? Do you remember as a kid thinking like, oh, I don't know about this. And then you kind of grew into it or how was it? How was it at that point? No, there were, there were times, I mean, as a kid, you, you're kind of self-centered, right? You're selfish and you want your parents to be around. My mom was always attentive and was always there for things, but the way that they explained it, uh, and as you mature, you know, and I'm not saying you have been mature at the age of eight, when you start getting to 10, 12 and stuff like that, you realize that where your place is, you know, in the strata of finances, you know, and you, 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 you recognize things. And so when your dad needs to go to work, you want him to. Uh, and even though that might mean he, he misses a hockey game or, or he misses something, you know, you know, or part of a birthday party or whatever, 
he always made up for it in some other way, like whether it was a different day that we would do it or it, he would he would talk to me beforehand and tell me how important it was. And I think as long as the parents address that, that that kids kids are smart. They might not get it all, but they'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, you know, some some of us don't figure it out until later in life, <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, I think there's some wisdom uh, that you can take from that. I've, I've seen it. Um, you know, some people call it being streetwise or, or having some sort of like a, you know, a, a, a logic that aligns more with a community as opposed to an, an individual. And we saw that too, when there were times where my dad was out of work, you know, our church was there to help us out. Our neighbors bought us Christmas gifts and things like that. And when you're, when you're little, you have to explain that to other people, you're embarrassed. You don't know how that, like, how did we get here? Well, why doesn't my dad make more money? I don't get it. You know, and then as you get older, you appreciate everything that he and my mother did, you know, to really make it work for my brother and me. Um, and glancing back over your shoulder, looking at that, you're like, I get that. And you know what you want to do for your family, you know, and you want to know how you're going to do that. And so it, they both took time to explain it. And sometimes you cried about it. Sometimes you're mad about it. You stomped your feet, you know, but by the time I got to like 10 or 12, I, I got it. I was like, yeah, I get this. This is important. And, you know, that's how I want to live my life, even though it's going in an entirely different direction. You know, I don't think my dad would have ever had an entrepreneurial bone in his body, (laughs) you know, but you know, because I'll never forget the first time I told my mom I was opening my first business. She literally said, why are you quitting your job? Like she expected me to have the same job for 30 years, you know, and in, you know, in my generation, that doesn't, doesn't happen. Right. And even, you know, if you looked at Gen Z's and what's going on today, doesn't happen for them either. Everyone's bouncing around trying to find the next thing and they're testing things out and finding where my dad got a job and had a pension. It was good. Just stay there forever and you're done. Yeah. You, you've got a job. You don't have to go anywhere and it's head down. Right. And, you know, for me, you know, I, you know, I was, I learned what I could from him in the direction that he took it. And I tried to apply that to my life just in the stuff that I wanted to do with it. Yeah. You know, so a theme that I keep coming up on the show and in life, I think throughout history is this idea of like dualities or contradictions in life that we try and make sense of. And I, and I think in many ways, that's why I do this show. I mean, I'm, I'm the philosophical side of me is always looking for answers if they're out there of like how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do. And I think I've, I've learned enough to know that there's no clear answer. So the best we could do is just talk to a lot of people, get a lot of different perspectives and kind of just try and make sense of it through that. Um, so the question I ask is it is in kind of in that vein, that duality point. Um, and again, I ask this completely genuinely, not leading the witness or suggesting anything. I just think it's super interesting. And that the example you're giving with your dad, I, I see a duality there too, right? There's a part of me that looks at that and is like, that is in some ways, that is the beauty of humanity. Somebody um, doing what they need to do to take care of their family and to do what's right by them. And even going out of the way to explain to you like, hey, this is what's going on. And to work that job, to work that extra shift, to like put that sacrifice in. There's there's such beauty in that of what that is of a father's love for his family and, and all that stuff. And all of that is is very, very real. Then there's the other part that some people have this view that's like, um, you know, but but maybe you should be at the hockey game. Maybe that's what life is actually about. And again, I don't think there's a right answer. And I think every parent, you know, is in certain areas they do more, certain they do less. So just because work ethic and and a, a dad in particular working has become the cliche, we kind of latch on to that and say, ooh, there's something negative in that. But to the question, like, how, how do you think about it? Like, do you consider that other part of life, that other philosophy or, or another philosophy on life, which is, um, sure, you got to work, you got to do certain things, you got to pay the bills, you got to do all that. But at the end of the day, it's really just about experiences, enjoying and, and all that type of stuff and being there with your family. 
How do you balance that duality, if at all? Maybe, maybe it's not a duality. Maybe it's more simple than that. No, I think, think you hit on something that's very, it's ancient, right? The, yeah. the question of the duality of man is entirely an ancient question that's been asked for thousands of years before we just asked it tonight. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, taking the philosophy out of it and just looking at the practicality of it. Um, yeah, I would love, you know, and I have the ability to do the soccer game stuff and the the fundraising stuff and the things that my dad didn't have the opportunity to do. And I think for him, it wasn't a choice, mm -hmm. right? It was like, I need to provide. And, and, and I think that, you know, there are generations that haven't experienced that. Um, you know, I look at it as saying like my, both of my grandfathers and grandmothers came over here one after world war one and one after world war two, uh, both like, off the boat, first, second generation. And their American dream was to get to America, you know? And then the American dream beyond that was, hey, I'm not, we're here, but let's, you know, we're going to home ownership. You know, we want to own our home. We don't want to live in the projects anymore. We want to own our home. And then the next year, my generations was, we want to go to college. Everybody needs to go to college. And, you know, whether you still believe that that's, you know, really part of any kind of American dream, it is for many folks that, you know, my I'm the first person in, on either side of my family ever to go to college, you know, and I'm not sure I would recommend that to my kids. You know what I mean? I see now, you know, a 19 year old hack can get into Google, you know, because they know Microsoft uh, and they don't need to go to college and spend all that money, you know, and learn English literature from the 19th century, you know, and, you know, the useless degrees that some, sometimes they, they buy to say that they are teachable and things like that. And so we all have a tendency to look back and, either discount what others have done. But those, I think those things, when, when I look back, I look at it and say, okay, well, that, that was the next generation lifting up, right? Like, Hey, I'm not, I'm going to take one for the team for you. And then when you're me, you've got to take one for the team for the next. And so, you know, the soccer moms and the soccer dads and the NASCAR dads and all that kind of stuff, I think comes natural, but this whole work-life balance wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the sacrifices for the people like my family who were basically serfs or people that were war refugees mm -hmm. that were coming here from England and stuff like that. Everything was gone, you know, and it was, you know, it's like, we're, we're, we're starting over and America is going to provide that to me. You know, I think that we've lost some of that because we're comfortable in the wealth that we've created. Right. Mm -hmm. And so someone like me still has a vision for that. I think many in the generations after me don't, they just, there's an expectation that this is the floor, yeah. you know, and, you know, and, and so, you know, because they haven't had to go through those hard times. And I didn't go through the depression. I didn't live through World War II. I didn't live through Vietnam War. You know what I mean? I'm a Iraq war. Like, like that's me, right? Like that, you know, so for, for me, I don't, you know, I can only look back on my own experiences, what my family did. And not a lot of people open their eyes to that kind of stuff or want to talk about it, you know, or they haven't told their kids about it. So, you know, they, you know, and I hate to say it this way, because again, it's going to come across, but you asked for honesty. I mean, there's this participation trophy kind of mentality these days where, hey, you just have to show up and everybody wins something. And that's just not true. Yeah. Um, and I know that might not be popular among many, but, you know, the, the truth of the, of the matter is, you know, I, if I lost and came in second, I don't get a trophy. Right. I mean, that, that was that was the whole point. My football team failed. We failed as a team, you know, and that's what and it motivated you to do better, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to saying it was OK that you failed. And it's all right to try. And, you know, but, you know, sometimes those goals need to be meted out by the coaches or other people in life that are in those places where they could say, look, 
you know, we didn't win this year, but we're going to get better next year. And the goal is to get better. Mm. Right. And, and I think that's the kind of thing that, you know, I, I can say there, maybe there's a balance in there again, from my perspective, you know, I know this is a very long winded answer to a very no, simple question about duality. You know, I've always seen it as, you know, my dad needed to go to work because it was a necessity. Mm. When my mom took side hustle jobs, it was because it was a necessity. And so I didn't take any of this for granted. And now that I'm here, you know, others that are behind me might take, you know, though that 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 bar that we've set for them, you know, whether they're kids or, or whatever, grandkids someday, like that kind of stuff. Um, but I think they need to be reminded and or at least educated that that's where the sacrifices came from so that they value where they're starting uh, as opposed to where they could have been starting. Yeah, no, I think it's a great answer because I, I think it gets to, again, there's no, there's no simple, clear object, at least from where I sit, objectives, answers to this. And that's why I think having the conversation, as you said, you said it a couple of times, right? We, even in trying to be honest and authentic, we have to hedge. And part of that's good because we're trying to be considerate of different viewpoints. As we said before, people see the world differently, but sometimes it could be detrimental because then we can't actually have the conversation and figure out like, Hey, maybe there is something to be learned here. That's useful. Um, so it's interesting, like in the, in the spirit of that, it's, in some ways you're getting right to the core of like a, a cultural or, or human nature phenomenon to talk about like this, this idea of should we be okay to say life is about sacrifice and putting in the work to help, you know, others, whether that be your family or future generations. And there's in, implicit or inherent in that inherent in that, this idea that like, you don't get a choice. You just have to do what you have to do. Um, and, and today's generation, and we're generalizing a little bit, but there's a lot of people today that are like, Hey, I just don't get that. It doesn't make sense to me why we should all feel like we need to sacrifice. Like we don't have a choice that that sense of entitlement is more just being like, Hey, we, we're all on this planet. We all live here. I should be able to do what I want to do. And then you could layer onto it. Some people feel like there's, um, like social pressures, or maybe you can even say conspiracy, like to make us feel like we have to work all the time and we need more money because then it just kind of keeps our head down and not really looking to do other things in life, not rock the boat and the powers that be can stay where they are. Right. You can go a lot of different directions with this. Um, but I think it's getting right to that question of like, is it, is it necessarily objectively right or wrong in either direction? And I think somebody might say like, but was your dad happy? Like, was he a happy person as he went through that? And not to speak for you, you'll correct me. I think what answer you might give is like, Sure, I'm sure there was happiness, but it wasn't all about happiness. It was somewhat around this obligation of like we we are meant to sacrifice a little bit for the greater good and and for others to get ahead. Um, so I give you an equally long winded answer to, to your response, and kind of just again swimming in that duality, swimming in that everybody's got a different perspective. H how confident are you that like no, I I you know I've thought through this. I really do think this is the right way to be. The, the generations as they look at it today everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but I just don't think they have it quite right. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is, you know, I'm sort of stuck in the middle of both, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not the, the, the elder generation that is going to, you know, get off my lawn kind of thing, <laughs> you know, but I'm also not part of the participation trophy generation that, you know, I think often uh, schools people to, care more about themselves than care, caring more about the, the family or the community. Uh, and again, that's an overgeneralization, right? Uh, but I think it's it's a fair one just based on what we're going through. I mean, look at all these folks, these fake, <laughs> like the Twitter, you know, like the, the just the the idea that the it's, it's so narcissistic and it's so self-centered and it's look at me, look at me, look at me. And no one ever takes a picture of them checking in at McDonald's. Right. It's always their 
you know, they're checking in at a high-end restaurant or look at me on vacation or look at this beautiful thing. And look, I get it. It's part of human nature uh, and stuff like that. But I also think that, you know, you've lost so much privacy and, you know, there's, there's also this, this sense that, you know, when you don't respond to some of that stuff, because look, I'm, for my job, I have to be on all these social media things and I get the, I get the value of them. Uh, but I also see the destruction, you know, it, it's like, and I, I don't get it. I, I, if it were me, I would never, the only way I go on Facebook to watch funny videos, <laughs> you know, or I'm on Twitter to catch, you know, stuff from people that, that, you know, are doing things in that are related to, you know, my job or, or whatever it might be. It's rarely is it for, you know, fun, but to your point, you know, I think my dad would have said exactly what you said is I've had fun. I, you know, there was, there were moments of happiness in my life, you know, sure. Like if he had more money, we could have traveled more. We could have done fun things. We could have gone to places and um, it would have been easier for him to turn down a shift and spend more time. But he also knew that this wasn't about him. This was about his family and his offspring, his progeny. It, like it was, I'm making, I'm taking this one for the team. So you don't have to. And I think that there's a level of, like I keep going back to this, but there's a level of today's parent, you know, that millennial that is having that, that, oh crap moment <laughs> to, to keep this PG, uh, you know, it, where they, they, all of these philosophies where it's like, oh, well, you know, I would love to do that. And now all of a sudden they've got to balance their kids and they find out that it's a handful, right? And, and they, they weren't disciplined and they don't understand the value of that discipline. And I don't mean like discipline yep. physically. I mean, there's a, there's a regimen that you need to follow. You need to finish your homework before you can, before you can go out and play. You know what I mean? You have to get your chores done before you can go out and play. You can't just choose to go and play and then address this later. Mm -hmm. And it's half-assed, right? Like it, and I think that's where it's been inverted. And I don't think that's culturally, you know, a good thing. I just think, you know, I, you know, and I think we see that as much as people complain about, you know, immigrants coming to this country, they're coming here to work. They're coming here to work. They want to be part of the American dream. They're not walking thousands of miles to get here or sneaking across the border. Now, take the politics out of it, because I right. believe you need to have borders. But at the end of the day, I know why they're coming here. My family did it 100 years ago. Right. So I'm not going to deny anybody the right that wants to come here you know, and do the same because they want to work. They want to provide that for their family as opposed to, I think this sense of entitlement that exists. And I, I find it difficult for anybody to argue that that, that isn't the case these days. I mean, I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear the argument against, it. I get the work-life balance thing. It's a really cool concept. Yeah. And I, you know, I try to do as much of that as I can. I have fun and I, you know, I, I work hard, I play hard, yeah. uh, but you know, I think that responsibility always is at the top of the list for me. Yeah. And I think that it's a spectrum, right? Of work-life balance. As you said before, some people are wired in a certain way where they just love working and they want to do it where some aren't. What I think is interesting to to the point, and, and firstly, let me say, I, I think you're right. Well, let me back up one second. I think everything comes at a cost. There, there's pros and cons, there's balance and everything that, that happens. So it's very rarely where like you take a course of action and it's completely good and there's no negative, there's no cost, right? right? <laughs> so to the point about the entitlement thing, like I think it would be hard for anybody to argue that if you look at just like society as a whole, there is certainly more individualism, entitlement, um, trying to make it more, everybody wins as we've talked about, right? There's certainly more of that in there. I think it would be hard to argue that. 
if I had to try and, and I'm not saying I necessarily believe this, but I do think about this stuff a lot. The, the only thing I could think of it was somebody might say is like, if you think of it like a pendulum, like for a while, you know, for, for our parents, our grandparents, those generations, I think we're about the same age. The idea exactly as you're explaining of like, you just do your work, you put in the time, you grind, you do what you do. There's a lot of good that comes in that. There's work ethic. We've achieved a lot of amazing things. Um, you, you, you raise people to understand responsibility and all that. I'm not saying there's a direct connection here, but there's also a lot of ugliness in the world, right? There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of different things that were negative. And I'm not saying it's a direct correlation that because people worked hard, there was whatever, more racism or more sexism or more just suffering that was caused for people. But I wonder if what was in initially or, or still a good idea of like, hey, maybe we should think about this more. Maybe we should just step back and look at everything. Like it's great, the work ethic, it's great that we're achieving great things, but there's a lot of ugliness. And maybe those things are connected in some way where we're so focused on this that we're not worried enough. We're not seeing enough of ways in which we can improve the world. And that makes sense. And then people start working towards that. And then inevitably human nature, some people always pull that to an extreme and be like, yeah, yeah, let's take that all the way. Let's make everything great all the time. Let's make it so nobody has to suffer ever. And that's probably the best argument I could give as to like why there's something to be considered there. I think obviously going to an extreme is never a good thing. I think there's always going to be a cost, but it becomes like, I don't think there's a clear answer. It becomes a question for, for society and for each individual to say, which one are we better off with? And I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think it's super valid that we're losing something that's really valuable. If we gain something that's valuable, does it offset? I, I don't know. And who's to say how we gain and how much we gain? Like you get into a very murky gray area, but yeah. that's the one thing I would say about people today and how they're thinking about it. If I give the benefit of the doubt, I think that's where it's coming from. What, what do you think about that? Is there anything to yeah. that or am I creating? No, 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 I think you're right. And I think part of that is because um, you, you hit on something that's very thematic. We hear about it a lot these days. And, you know, I, I think that change comes slowly. Right. And so the idea that, you know, whether it's, you know, the, you know, a social change uh, like the racism or sexism in the workplace or any of the kind of stuff that you find, um, you know, that's, you know, ancillary to that kind of stuff in the, the, the social justice world, right? There's a reason uh, that those folks need a voice, right? They're typically, they find themselves in some minority in some capacity. And if they weren't as militant about it and weren't as vigilant about it, they would just get pushed away because they're not in the majority, right? So, and, but that, that cultural change takes time. It takes a while. Like there were, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. My mother is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. And, you know, she's now in her seventies and, you know, she would call an African-American a colored person because in her generation, that was the NAACP was the national association for the advancement of colored people, right? They still are the NAACP. And she would think that that was okay. But in today's world, she would be chastised and canceled and, you know, immediately, you know, taken down, you know, you, you know, if there was a place for her to go down, uh, because she used a term that she didn't know wasn't okay to use anymore. And, and so sometimes you get, I think where the spike in the bad, the, the extreme is, is sometimes you got to give people a pass and it's okay to educate them and just say, you know, mom, you can't say that anymore. You can't do it. And she would think I'm doing the right thing, you know, and she would have never, she was, there wasn't a precious bone in her body. Right. I mean, where we came from, we were all equal. <laughs> Trust me. You know, there was there was a part when you're poverty, there's a poverty line, you're in it, you're all in it together. It doesn't matter. And that's when 
community means more because you'll cover for one another. You'll be there like, hey, you know, I, you know, my neighbors, I, I used this example before about the churches and my neighbors, like they helped when my dad was down, right? And we helped them when their mother got injured, was paralyzed and, and had, you know, and they had stuff and you just become a bigger family because of that. But I think that, you know, rushing change sometimes sounds great, but it's, it's change is always painful. And I'm not saying that they're not right. Uh, I'm just saying that sometimes it takes a while to get there. But I do think like what you were saying is, you know, I don't know necessarily if there was a structural thing that was causing this. I just think that, you know, you go, you rewind a clock on them a hundred years and their great grandparents would think they're crazy too. I mean, what, you don't own slaves? Come on, you know, everybody, you know, and that's what I mean. So you, it's hard to judge people in their you know, anachronistically, it's hard to go back and say, hey, 200 years ago, you did that. And that's evil. So I'm canceling you now. I mean, that's just dumb. You know, just learn from history uh, and say, we're not going to repeat it again and, and make sure that we don't. Right. And and just start from scratch. You got to give some people a pass. They, they grew up in a completely different culture. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think that what I'm talking about is a little different than that, maybe 5% angle different than that, where it's more about the attitude and getting back to your original point, the value system that somebody has. And if they're, and it's okay to be, everybody wants to have fun and go on vacations and, you know, and, and buy the best things that they can and, you know, have a great time when they go out with, with friends and family, no one's going to deny that. And everybody puts time aside for that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day that you're sometimes you got to make the hard decision, which is support your family, support your loved ones, support your neighbors, as opposed to self-indulgence. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I won't go down this thread, but I do think there's an interesting conversation around because I, I as you might imagine, I, I find a lot of these topics fascinating. Whenever there's 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 controversy or differing views, that's kind of where I lean into because I feel like, hey, there's something there that's super interesting. So that idea of like 200 years ago with slavery, should should we have known better? Should we not have? Like, there's an interesting conversation to have about that, but that's for another time on another episode. Yeah, it's a difficult one, right? It's a difficult one for sure. Yeah. But I think in what I'm in what you're saying, I think what what I've found is so important in this is like as you said that that ability to try and um understand and try and empathize with the other perspective, the other person, or the other way they're thinking about it. And I think nowhere is that more difficult, obviously, than then when that other person doesn't sit where you sit, right? Doesn't doesn't align with where you align. And I think there's some of that. I think all of us can can be better at that, right? We we talked about the two different perspectives or philosophies. Is it more about kind of the more traditional, do the hard work, or is it more the new age, you know, a little bit more entitlement, a little bit more individual? Um, I think both sides have to look at it and be like, well, I might not agree with it, but let me try and understand it better. Let me look at it with that same level of empathy and compassion as I would my own side. I think yeah, that well becomes said. super important, right? And yeah, I'll segue cool. that towards, as we're, as we're moving here, Joe, the writing. Because what I find fascinating and part of the reason I was excited to talk to you is somebody who writes fiction, you have to, I guess you don't have to, but if you're going to be good at it, you have to have such an understanding of the nuance of human nature and all these things we're talking about and that the... the the dualities and the complexities of the human mind and even the individual personality, how there's so many facets to it. So I'm really curious, like as, as you do write, as you create characters, as you develop them, I'm sure some of it's pulled from your own experience, if not a lot of it, but how challenging is it to try and actually write something? And I know it's sci-fi in your case, but still you're writing about human nature to do that. Does it make you have to become like super observational and looking all the time and trying to understand what's there? What's, what's that like in that process? Well, I think in, in, I think in general uh, writers, have a tendency to be very observant anyway you know they, they'll see like i've written characters 
based on someone I saw in a store, you know, or, you know, the way someone handled something, it's not necessarily them, but taking that and, and applied it to, to one of my characters. And you're right. A lot of that comes from life experience. So like as my day job um, prior to my authorship was as a lobbyist in DC, I did a lot of work for defense and technology companies. And so I saw not just national politics, but local politics. I saw international politics. I saw how deals were made. I saw how the human nature at its best and at its worst. Um, but I also saw invention and innovation and how that advanced, you know, the, the human condition around the globe with, with all the things that people are, are putting money into, um, you know, in DC and at the UN, you know, water, like you're talking about sea salt desalinization, that that's the game changer or, or things like a, a room temperature superconductor. That's a game changer for this, for the globe. Mm -hmm. uh, those things are game changing. And, and so you see that in, in those kind of aspirational dreams, I think will always spur your, your, uh, your, your imagination. But, you know, getting back to your original question uh, yeah, you know, I think it's fun uh, to kind of, you know, use your life experience and put it into somebody else. But I also, I've taken some of those struggles that we see in everyday life and baked them into my stories. So like, for example, getting back to something we were talking about a few minutes ago, I've, I have a character in my uh, Warminster series that I call Trollborn, and he's of mixed blood. He's part of his race is, is Raven Elf, part of his race is human. And both sides look down on him because he's a mixed place, kind of like a a, a mudblood in in Harry Potter, right? <laughs> to to use a much more uh, you know you know uh, popular term, but it's someone of mixed blood, and you know, and so he has this. He's looked down upon by his the the humans that depend on him to defend their 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 border, uh, and he's also looked down on by his the Raven Elves because he's this mixed blood, these trollborn, right? And it's and it's that struggle that I, I've put him up against by, he has a love interest who is a princess of the of one of the elven nations who is at the top of her caste. Like she is not allowed to consort with him, uh, but she falls for him because she meets him and he saves her life, she saves his. And it's like, well, wait a minute, we're kind of equal, right? We throw our, our one leg over the horse at the same time. It's same story. And it's like, well, why can't we? Where we have these feelings and, and so it challenges people to, to think about those kind of things and whether it's a racial thing or uh you know uh, a gender thing or you know a sexual thing those kind of things we tried to to i try to put those in the stories because i believe people can identify in good stories with things like struggles so sometimes it's redemption there's a character line in the story or you know there's also a character that's falsely accused of of crimes and it's how she handles herself you know, to kind of overcome it, not like the A team, but something more serious. Right. And so you get all of these kind of, of things that, that happen in, in a fantasy adventure or a sci-fi or a dystopian fantasy. And you, 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 you use your own life experiences and then put them on steroids mm. and let them go and then let people comment on them. Um, and if you write a good story, people, I, I get a lot of that for my readers. Now they, they come back and say, tell me the background on this character. Why did you think of this? How did you think of this person? And why did they do that? Like, because you try to make it unique. It has to be your own world that you're building because it is fiction, right? It isn't historical, uh, in any respect, it's not real life stuff. So you, you get a chance to, to, to have that kind of po poetic licensure and, you know, and draw it out however you want to see it and challenge people to think of it in those kind of ways and it makes it interesting and i think it makes people come back to read the next and the next and the next mm. 
It's super interesting. Yeah, I think that's such a, I've never written a book, obviously, certainly not anything fiction. I've written some articles and things like that. But I find that so, so, um, I don't even know the word. I keep saying interesting, but there's something deeper to that. Like something, um, the ability to to be in that position, to, to have to create a character and a storyline and think of all the different implications of it. Um, it. There's something so like, probably challenging, I'm sure in some ways, but it's got to be so enriching for you to do that. And like, it has to enrich how you think and, and your ability to th- see things from different perspectives. Cause you're almost forced to, as you're writing, right. You have to consider like, what would this, you know, what would, what would that tribe think or this tribe or whatever it might be. Um, and I have to imagine there's benefits to that that carry over into everyday life. Just thinking. Yeah. It that keeps way. your mind open to things. Keeps right? your mind open. You know, yeah. you, you, you're now, um, you know, you now look at, at things through a different lens and the lens of an author is, is one that can be, I mean, pen is mightier right. than sword in many respects, right? You get to, you know, take your revenge in any way you want, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But, you know, ultimately, you know, on a, on a fiction side, um, you're right. I mean, you you have to put yourself in the minds of the other characters uh, and think logically on how they would react to, to, to certain things, whether it's with violence or whether it's with passion or whether it's with misunderstanding and uh, misguided actions and because you know, I, I I I'll use one example for one. I mean, there's a character in the novels who has a big fall, right? And he has a chance at redemption, sort of like a Darth Vader, you know, kind of character where you know he was good. He tried to make a decision for all the right reasons, and it was the wrong decision. And as a result, he had a big fall. Uh, and at the end, does he have? He has that shot at redemption. There's not a single person alive. They can't identify with that in some capacity, right? Or some sort of forbidden love where, or unrequited love, like everybody can identify with that. And so those kind of things, when you throw them up and you write a good story around them, it gets people thinking, but it also puts you on the other side of the table. You know, like I've never been on the side of the table where I've been an elven princess and <laughs> I'm not allowed to talk to the trollborn ranger that's, you know, come to save me. I'm not allowed to do that. Or I've saved him you know, several times from death. And, you know, and, and as a guy, I've never been, is that okay? A woman saving me? And you, so you challenge all of these little like cultural mores and it's, it's fun to do, um, you know, while also creating a really cool story around it. Right. You know, and I think that, like I said, it kind of keeps your mind open to things. It, it, it shows you different perspectives on, on people and you eventually start to react differently because you can see some of the characters you've created out of thin air it's popped out of your head yeah. now you're like well i see this now and i didn't see it before because you had to write in and and it forces you to be observant like i've had conversations with people about how they would react in certain situations and i use them in the novels because they're the person that the the stuff is about just the names have changed you know but i'm using the story arcs in a way that you know i can bake it into my fantasy adventure and writing or some sci-fi story down the road or whatever it might be you know and i and i think that kind of stuff um you know, it's opened my eyes to things that, you know, they may have been closed before or something I wouldn't consider. And now it's like, well, you know, I get it. You know, you see it from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. So I, I'm going to go a little heavy for maybe our last question. As, as no problem. Yeah. So, <laughs> and and I, I feel the need to caveat this of, um, I, I often say I'm a recovering people pleaser and, and maybe part of the reason I do this show is to push myself to, and again, we keep talking about honesty and all that and just exploring and understanding. So I say that cause I'm, I'm going to ask a question, which may be, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm not even entirely sure what the question is, but I can't help but think of it as, as you're, as you were talking about character development and that whole piece of it and how it is so much more complex and nuanced than 
you know, we typically think of people in our everyday lives. We tend to put people in boxes. But when you're writing about a character, you're forced. You can't do that. You have to kind of, and, pe- and that's real life. They're not just that. And I can't help but think as we're having this conversation, and this is the part I hope you understand. Um, middle-aged white guy, obviously, much like me. Lobbyist, defense contractor, that type of thing. Talking about the value of work ethic and traditional thing. Taking issue with participation trophies. It's very easy, and, and I'm sure maybe you've run into this in life, where people want to put you in a box and be like, oh, okay, I, I get who Joe is. I know exactly what this person is. If if somebody's sitting on more of the liberal side of things, they might very easily be like, Joe's the problem. This is the this is the exact archetype of the problem we have in the world today. And why I love this show and why I do this show is because I think that's bullshit. I think just like you're talking about character development, much more complex than nuanced than that. Are there bad people in the world? Maybe the people, you know, all that, but people are so much more than that box we put them in. How do you think about that? Right. As you think about yourself as an individual, have you had that? Have you had people try and put you in that box? Have you ever questioned yourself? Like, am I in that box or am I more? How how do you think about it? Again, I don't even know what the question is there, but I think you you know know exactly where you're going with this, because I think that, you know, we, we all start by trying to compartmentalize. It's called prejudice, right? You're, I'm prejudging you. I don't mean it in a way where I'm prejudice against something but you know i when you when you go outside and you know and you see an event that forms something in your head that tells you the next time i see it i'm going to i know this i know what's going to happen next right so oftentimes when people would come and meet me the first time they'll do that they, they, and i and, and you do that too you put someone in a box mm-hmm. right and then you realize they have, they grow outside of that box as an author um you have to do that because that people are never that way there's always uh, going to be something that you didn't expect that that person was going to do that they did. And you're like, wow, I, I, I didn't, I would have never guessed that. And and whether it's a, you know, a conservative to, to liberal thing or, or wherever that none of that really, I think in, in, in my eyes really matters as much as once you get to know the person, you know, that they're popping out of that box eventually. Right. I just think it's human nature that we try to label things because it makes it easier for us to understand or manage our expectations you know, on how someone's going to react. And then when you find out that you, you don't, you know, you're like, wow, how did, how did that happen? You know, like I didn't expect that from them. And then as you get to know, and, and I think that's the value of being an author, you, you get to surprise people because you, you, you develop these like trope characters and all of a sudden, bang, you take them in a different direction and they didn't expect that character to do that or react that way. And it's because they're not in a box. Uh, I just think it's part of the human nature of it. and and getting back when you said duality of man I, it might be more than just a duality like, i i don't know a single person that's in their own box and that's all they're ever going to be uh you know I, I just i find that way and the same thing holds true for me there are things i believe in high school i sure do not believe anymore you know it's just you know, you people change they grow um most of the time it's for the better you know and life experience brings that for you and you know for so for someone like me I live in a world where they try to force you into a box and define you. Uh, and, you know, it was time, high time for me to get out of it. Uh, and authorship was a form of escapism. It was a way for me to, to, to kind of get away from that, that sort of professional thing. Cause it's, I want to label you as bad. So you reelect me, you know, or I want to label this as dangerous so that you don't buy, you buy my technology instead or you know, whatever. And it's not always that way. Like you said, most of the time there's a cost. Right. And hey, I'm going to pick this and this is the best, you know, in in, in D- DC speak, it's called best value. Mm-hmm. No longer are they buying things at the lowest cost, you know, but they, you know, they're buying it for best value. And that's exactly what you just described without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be something that's more expensive, but it's better for 
the greater good. Nets so out the better. Yeah, providing for the common defense or promoting the general welfare it doesn't matter. You know, it's just you're trying to make a decision that's best for the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for from your that's it's a really tough question to answer. And I hope I was as direct as I could be uh, with it. But I think everybody has their own little box. And when you get to know them after six months, box doesn't work anymore. Yep. Yep. Well, I'll say this. It, it's it's what I love, again, about the, the, the writing process and you being an author and all that, because as you explain that, I think there's so much to be pulled from that of what I think is so important in life, that 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 observing, thinking, understanding the different perspectives for exactly the reasons you just articulated. And I think I'll say just, you know, a, a, a plug on this from where I sit, like it's it's I think we all need to do that with other people. Right. And understand other perspectives and understand they might not be the way I think, but but I think, you know, they they're there but i think where we often fall down the most or at least i'll say for me is even with ourselves i think sometimes we even put ourselves in boxes and sometimes good boxes like i'm i'm a great person i'm doing everything great and maybe we're not maybe we do need to improve or vice versa right we put ourselves in a box that we're the worst and we're so i think that whole box concept is is always problematic wherever it goes even though it's human nature and that's what makes it so important we are like there's like a gravitational pull for us to do that and us actively working against that is what's so important. And I think that writing process, as you explained, it helps in so many ways. Now, some people might not be writers. Maybe they have a different thing that they focus on. Um, but whatever it is that allows you to kind of think broader around that, I think is so important. Um, and Joe, I, this, I'll this say is a really this cool too. conversation. Yeah, You're yeah. going to write a book one day. Then <laughs> you, man, I can feel it. I you, It sounds, you've got all these like little nuggets that you can impart like wisdom it's like a wisdom book like a self i appreciate book. that i can see it coming man I can, hey, I, you know i need to get that work ethic thing i need to get that value in line and actually do it um so hang around me man i'll, 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 I'll get you up we'll there get up at 5 45 that's why i love It'll it be good that's why i love to get the other perspective see it hear it feel it in its real <laughs> sense you know so Joe, this was fun, man. Really was. I really appreciate you being honest, um, putting things out pleasure. there. Um, super interesting. Love the books and everything you're doing and, and all of it. So thanks. Thanks. Thanks for the time. My my pleasure. Thanks again for having me. Yeah. You have an awesome rest of your day. All right, buddy.